Welcome to Footnotes in Witness. My name is Deborah J. McKenzie, and this is the podcast where we study the Bible to see Jesus rightly and find him in our own stories. Let us be faithful witnesses to his character and glory. So just a special note about today's episode. I'm going to be sharing a little bit about my story, and today that part includes the death of a child. So just as a trigger warning, if there are some sensitive hearts out there about this topic, you may want to skip this one or come back to it at a different time. So we've been talking about different literature types in the Bible, prophecy, narrative, poetry, all those different types of literature that we find throughout the Bible and how we can recognize them and how to read them. So I had a really hard time getting ready for this episode. What does this have to do with witnessing? The question that I kept staring at at the top of a blank page was how does understanding biblical literature help us to be a better witness? I'll be honest with you, I was staring at a blank page for a long time. I talked to friends, I tried to reorganize my kitchen, nothing was working. Finally, I did what I should always do first. I went to the water. So I am a bit of a beach bum, but I also just love the water. It's one of the reasons I love living in California, even though I am definitely a born and bred Texan. The beaches are just better. Now, I don't exactly live on the beach, but I do live on the Delta in Northern California, and we have a marina in town. And so after dropping off my son for his theater practice and went to the marina to watch the sunset. I was just blown away by God's glory, by his just bragging nature of all the different colors he can put in the sky. We live kind of close to a small mountain range. And so to watch the sun go behind the mountains creates this crazy pink, blue, red sky. And that being reflected in the water is just one of my favorite things. As it started to get darker, I could hear the frogs and all the little creatures that live in the wetlands. That's a preserve right there by our marina. So funny, growing up in Texas, I don't remember a time when there weren't critters and crickets. Even when I lived in Dallas, Dallas is a big city, but it also has a huge river running right through the middle of it. And for several years, we lived in South Dallas right next to a lake. The point is, moving to California was a very different experience. There aren't a lot of bugs here, which is one of the things we love. There aren't mosquitoes. Amen to that. But there also isn't that nighttime cacophony of all the different critters and their noises. So as I was at the marina and I could not believe what I was hearing, I had a really interesting thought. Why did God make frogs make noise? Like what a silly gift that he gave us, that these critters would make noise that we could hear, that it would become the song of sunsets and summers, that we would find that song pleasurable even. Like what a crazy gift that God gave us, which he didn't have to. And I immediately thought, this is why people think Christians are crazy, because we see so much and so little. And then it hit me that is why we need to understand biblical literature to be a better witness. 
It's all about finding Jesus in everything. If you can find Jesus in the gospel, in poetry and prophecy, if you can see God's character, his love and provision in passages like Hosea, then you can definitely find Jesus in the frogs in your own story. Today, I want to share with you a little bit about my own story. I had an aunt growing up who I loved because she was very young. And so she was cool. Like she listened to cool music and she played Mario Brothers. And she let us stay the night and stay up late and eat ice cream and play video games. She was great. My aunt also had type 1 diabetes. She had it in, you know, the 80s where it was basically a death sentence. And she had defied all medical knowledge at the time and had lived long enough to graduate high school and get married. But then they told her she would never have a child. But once again, she defied medical expectations and had a beautiful, healthy little girl. Her name was Victoria. We called her Tori. This little toddler was everything you want a toddler to be. A little snarky, super sweet, really adorable. She had ringlet curls and red hair. I loved this little kid, and I did not like little kids. We all doted on her. She was definitely spoiled rotten. So as you can imagine, as most stories go in our broken world, something tragic happened. There was a rainy day and a huge pileup, just a car accident. But car seats just weren't what they are today, and she died instantly. My aunt, who had the miracle child, was in a coma for three days. She had shattered lots of bones and barely survived herself. And yet when she woke up, instead of the pleasure and joy of being alive, she was greeted with the news that her one and only miracle child had died instantly in the crash. Now I come from a Christian family. We all believe in heaven and the other side. We all believe that God is passionate and kind and good. but. The death of a child will definitely stretch your faith to its limits. I will never forget the phone call of when my grandpa called to tell my mom what had happened to her sister. It was the only time I can ever remember my grandfather crying. It was a horrific situation, as I'm sure you can imagine. We're not the only ones to suffer this kind of loss. But our family... Well, we did the best that we could with what we had. We tried to find God's joy in it, but the grief was raw and real and brutal. (laughs) My aunt never really recovered from that. Physically, sure, but emotionally, not so much. And unfortunately, like most marriages that have to endure the death of a child, they wouldn't be able to hold their marriage together. They made it a long time, but that grief, it's just so raw. It's just so real. Now, I was young when Tori passed. I was seven, and I just could not comprehend what was happening. Why would God, who's supposedly good, do this? Why would God let a child die who had done nothing? It was just a bad accident. Nobody could have done anything about it. There was no one to blame. It was raining. It's not even like it was a drunk driver. 
It was just one of those things that happen in a broken world. I remember at the funeral, my other aunts and uncles weeping openly, just ugly crying, right? Horrifically crying and thinking right then and there, I know that God exists. I'll never be able to deny that, but I don't like this God. And I think we're going to have to take a break. (laughs) I had recently been baptized. My parents helped plan a church. We were there all the time. We loved church. It was our community. It was our people. And that was going to be fine for me for a while. But as far as God and I were concerned, we were not exactly talking. Over a decade later, I would find myself as a road staff person at an evangelical women's conference. The whole point of the conference was to spread the gospel, tell people about Jesus. And I was definitely one of the more cynical people working there. I knew that it was a good job and it was fun traveling, but I definitely had some reservations about the point of my job. It felt empty. I could say all the right words and I knew all the right answers, but I didn't feel anything about what I was saying. I was able to work for them for a couple of years and they were really important years Because God was doing a work in me that I never even comprehended. I never would have imagined was possible. He healed so much for me on the road. I was a different person then. I was broken. I was hurting. But looking back, I can see just how much he was there for me. He was providing for me. And weeding out some of the really bad character flaws that I had built up over the years. One year, we had Natalie Grant on the road with us. She's a Christian singer, and she had this song called Held. And every time she would sing this song, I would cringe. And just the way that the scheduling worked out, it was usually around my break time. And I would avoid going into the arena every time because I didn't want to hear it. The song is basically about a child who dies. It was about a kid who died from SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome, and there was no explanation. But the words are that God is still good anyway, that you know that he's holding you, that he's taking care of you. The very notion of the lyrics of this song offended me to my core. I didn't know that I was thinking about Tori all the time, but I was. We had spent a decade marking the year of her death every year, marking her birthday. There was an oil painting made of her as an angel that was up in my grandparents' house. I think it was safe to say we were dealing with it the best that we could, but we definitely had not moved on. I loved listening to Natalie Grant. She was absolutely one of my favorite singers and still is. And she also sang this beautiful acapella rendition of It Is Well, which is one of my all-time favorite hymns. And so on a particular Friday evening when I had had a really long work day, I decided during my break to go in, deal with listening to Held, so I could hear Natalie sing it as well. It just so happened, of course, (laughs) that this particular time, when I went into the arena, there was no one around. Now, if you've never been to a giant women's conference, it's like a hockey game. There can be 20,000 people in the seats, and we sold out almost everywhere. 
But this particular time, I don't even remember which city it was, but I walked in and there were a bunch of empty seats. So I went and sat down and I started to hear the song that had come to offend me so much. The lyrics go like this. Two months is too little. They let him go. They had no sudden healing. To think that Providence would take a child from his mother while she prays is appalling. Who told us we'd be rescued? What has changed and why should we be saved from nightmares? We're asking why this happens to us who have died to live. It's unfair. This is what it means to be held. How it feels when the sacred is torn from your life and you survive. This is what it is to be loved and to know that the promise was when everything fell, we'd be held. Finally, with no one around and nothing to get in the way, I let myself cry. I thought about Tori and all the grief and suffering and the injustice of it and let the tears flow. Now, this is one of those times when you're going to think that a Christian is crazy. But I heard a voice, a real tangible voice. There was no one around. My tears instantly stopped and I felt joy. I pictured her bundle of red curls that my aunt stubbornly put up into a ponytail every day and that Tori promptly ripped the hairband out of every day also. I felt the joy of having known her, the gratitude of having known her laugh. And God told me not to mourn her anymore, to remember her with love and with joy, that we were made to be remembered, not mourned. My tears were gone, and a miracle happened. So was the grief. The only thing that was left was joy. I immediately wrote a letter to every member of my family, telling them about my experience and how we could honor her, that we could live a life with joy. And if we stopped mourning her, that didn't mean that we'd forget her. It would mean that it would change, not be erased. She still lived. She still told us what sound a butterfly made. And those memories will live on, but that we can just remember her with joy. It's really hard to see Jesus in the hard times. It's really hard to see the gospel in the injustices of this world. It can be really hard to see joy in the face of darkness. But this is where we're held. That is when Jesus, our great father and protector, holds us even more tightly. Now, sometimes we're kicking and screaming and don't want to be held. Sometimes we fight him and ignore him and choose other paths. But he never leaves. And that's the gospel. He never leaves us. He will never forsake us. And we are always chosen. I think that maybe being able to see God finally in such a terrible experience helps soften my heart to see God in scripture. And then when I did see God in scripture, it affirmed this experience. And then that experience affirms my reading in the Bible. 
This is why we need to understand biblical literature, to find Jesus in all the places. Find the gospel, because it's in our life. Sometimes our life is going to affirm the gospel in the scriptures, and sometimes the scriptures are going to affirm the gospel in our life. But this is why we need to know how to see him in both. I am so grateful that God made me alive. First Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And that's the gift that we get to have. So when we're in really difficult passages that we don't like in the Bible, when we come across things that offend us, when we come across the loss of an innocent, cancer, abuse, and trauma, that's when we can try to remember. That's where we're held. I was truly walking dead in my life. I had spent a decade ignoring God, being offended by him, and looking for any other way out because God wasn't doing it. And yet, he met me in a dark arena in the middle of a long workday during a song that I hated and spoke to me and gave me the miracle that I didn't even ask for, that my grief was replaced with joy. And while Natalie's saying it is well, I felt it for real for the first time, that it is well, no matter what's happening. It is well because I am a daughter of the high king. I have been saved. Christ suffered once for me, his righteousness for my unrighteousness. I could quote scripture, be in Bible studies, work at a Christian company. I knew all the right answers, but I had still not taken in the truth of him. I didn't see it. And yet, he chose to reach out to me. I fought the world and I thought it was a worthy adversary. And Jesus showed up and said, this isn't even a fight. I've already taken care of it. Just receive the victory I've already won. And now I know I've been made alive in the spirit. I believe in God's promises and I seek to know him like a best friend. I am a new creation, transformed and not of this world. I am held. looking for Jesus in all types of biblical literature will help you find him in your own story and help you be a better witness. Now for next week, I am pleased as punch. I am so excited. Two of my besties from Texas have come in and agreed to do a short little interview with me about how they learned how to read the Bible and how seeing the different biblical literature types has helped them. And that interview is going to be ready for the press next week. So make sure you come and check that out.